0: We just had read to us some wonderful passages of Scripture. Deuteronomy chapter 7. I set my love on thee because I loved thee. I chose thee not because you were a numerous or mighty people, but because you were the fewest of all people. And I chose you to be a special people unto me. Therefore, keep my commandments. Great passage. The discrimination of God among nations. Then we had read to us Isaiah 45 where the prophet speaking on behalf of God, addresses Cyrus, a Persian. You haven't known me, but I've known you. And I've raised you up and you're going to do something for my people. You're going to have Jerusalem rebuilt for them. And he rebukes those that do not fall before him as the God of heaven, superior to all the gods of the Persians. I create light and make peace. I create evil. That does not mean that God creates sin or is the cause of sin. The word evil there is describing the opposite of peace. War and trouble, not sin. Evil means a number of things in the Bible. And then we had Acts 18 where the Lord made a difference in the city of Corinth. He said, I have much people in this city. He had a people already and Paul needed to find them. Wasn't that good? We're going to read the Bible and we're going to learn the Bible, God helping us. I hope I live to a ripe old age, and so do you, so that we can learn as much about the Bible as possible. I enjoy having those six passages read, and I hope you follow along closely and we benefit from them. You may turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. I want to spend a few minutes, a simple lesson with five parts That God discriminates among and between men. It's a heresy that all men are created equal except in very limited respects. All men are created unequal. All you have to do is look around. Some are short and some are tall. Some are fat and some are skinny. Some are smart and some are dumb. Some are coordinated and some are not. When you went to gym in the fifth grade and two captains were appointed to pick two teams for Dodgeball. The most coordinated and aggressive of the boys were picked first. And the uncoordinated one was left last. There was a difference made. God made that difference. We shouldn't try to avoid it, ignore it. We can learn from it. Because God makes differences like that in every part of our lives. And I hope that when we read Isaiah 45, you caught the drift in the middle of that passage. He is the potter and we are the clay. Let's give Him thanks for what He's made. Let's praise Him. Let's submit to Him. Let's be content with what we are and have. And let's serve Him aggressively with what He has given us. The idea of giving equal awards or rewards in spite of ability or performance is confusing. You know, when boys play Little League Baseball today, they give them all a trophy at the end of a season. Well, what does that prove? What kind of a lesson does that teach? There are little boys that are gifted. And there are little boys that apply themselves well. Those two kind of boys ought to get a bigger trophy than the other boys who aren't very gifted and who don't apply themselves. But you say, why should we reward such ability that makes the the person without any ability feel bad? Well, he shouldn't feel bad if he heard this sermon. Okay? If he feels bad, it's because he hasn't heard this sermon before. God made all of us to his own glory. Listen, I wish I was six foot two so bad. Not that much. He sawed me off at the knees. I've told you that before. That's his choice. I'm going to be happy with it. I'm bad enough at five nine. Just think how bad I'd be at six two. Half of you children are all intimidated at me when you're looking down at me. Anna and Andrea. <laughs> what, would you, what would you feel like if I was 6'2"? The Lord made us, and so there ought to be differences made in our awards and rewards. You know, when you, poor little leaguers, nobody knows who was the best player. We don't want to do that. You, do you know how far it's gone? Do all of you realize it's gone so far that they don't keep score anymore in the younger ages? Can you imagine playing a game where they don't keep score? Communism and socialism are based on the very same thing. We don't want to make any differences. The heart surgeon in Moscow makes the same as the taxi driver sitting out in the street of the hospital in Moscow. Moscow. Do you know what that means? If you want that man to waste his time by washing his hands and putting on a mask before he opens you up, you better bring a case of potato vodka or he ain't going to touch you. Tanya's told me all about it. There's no reward. If there's no reward, doctors aren't going to work hard. When a doctor can make 400000 by cutting people open and taking very good care of their hearts so they live long enough to tell the next guy to do it, they deserve that 400000 right. And the guy out there ticking with his cab who doesn't want to do anything but smoke cigarettes and read old newspapers, he shouldn't get paid very much. Right. God makes differences, and we shouldn't try to ignore them. We should try to learn from them. There are lessons in this for us, and I hope that I can communicate the lessons. Think with me for a few minutes about the differences God makes. He made two lights in Genesis chapter 1. One is called the greater light and one is called the lesser light. Should we feel sorry for the lesser light? But why does God have to call it the greater light and the lesser light? Why couldn't He just call it the different light? It's just a different light. It's an alternative light. No, it's a greater light and a lesser light. Do you know what it actually says in First Corinthians 15? God arranges all the glory of His stars. There are stars that are great in glory and there are stars that are less in glory. And He talks about it. He made a difference in things like the sun and the moon. The greater light and the lesser light. When God created the horse, did He create something magnificent? For you horse lovers, I've got your attention now. Carrie, are you with me? (laughs) Poor Bob. He's not here right now. Bob loves horses. You know, if we really wanted to make Bob happy, we'd ask Eric if we could put a horse in the yard of his rental home. (laughs) The horse in the book of Job got... Joy, I'm thinking of you too. Shut up, track. (laughs) In Job 40 and 41, God brags about the horse. He brags about the horse. He says, look at that creature that I made. Isn't it magnificent? Have you watched it run? Have you noticed it in battle with a little bit of training? It's fearless. All that trumpeting and confusion that goes on in battle, there goes that horse. Now That's a trained horse. Okay, mind you, it's a trained one. But it's a beautiful animal, and God brags about the horse because He made it magnificent, beautiful to look at, strong, fast, fearless in battle. He says all those things about it. And He goes, Job, you wanted to debate my fairness with you. Can you make something like my horse? And Job had to say, I can't even draw one. Then God made another animal in the book of Job, and that's the ostrich. And what did He make the ostrich for? For stupidity, so that we could all laugh at it. God said, I made an animal and deprived it of all wisdom. And He showed that. How big is the body of an ostrich? Have you seen one? Is it this big? How big is its head? (laughs) It's awesome. There's no brain up there, and the Lord wants you to know that by making it so small you know what the Lord says about the ostrich? It lays its eggs in the sand, forgets where it laid them, and then turns around and steps on them. Oh, there, there goes another generation. The Lord says that about them. Right. And do you know what the Lord says about people that abort babies? Indirectly, they're just like the ostrich. They have no compassion for their young, which means they have no wisdom or understanding, right. because we ought to have that for an unborn child that's moving around in the belly of a woman. But now look at the difference God made between the horse and the ostrich. He brags about the horse, he laughs at the ostrich, and he expects us to do the same. I mean, how many really get excited about books on ostriches and looking at pictures of ostriches and going to ostrich petting farms and, and looking at ostriches? God loves the horse, but look at the difference he made in the animal world. He made Saul of Kish. Saul, the son of Kish, Saul from the tribe of Benjamin, a tall, goodly man. Does the Bible tell us that? He was tall and goodly. If the Bible says that, I think he probably looked pretty good, if God says that about him. But then we come to the New Testament, we find a little dwarf called Zacchaeus. God made the difference between Saul and Zacchaeus. Do you blame God for either one? Or did God have a purpose? Listen, if I would have the Lord Jesus Christ look up into a sycamore tree and say, Hey, Zacchaeus, get down out of there. I want to go to your house for lunch. I'll take being five nine. Amen. Right. Amen. Somebody please tell me he was shorter than that. I was hoping somebody would interrupt me. There's a difference between Saul and Zacchaeus. It's enormous. Was Saul respected everywhere he went because he was so tall? Was Zacchaeus disrespected everywhere he went because he was so short? Yes. The Lord made that difference. But the Lord went to the house of Zacchaeus. The Lord left Saul. His height didn't help him a bit in his relationship with God. What height should you be? Amen, brother. He said the height that he should be, the height that he is, is the height that he should be. It's what God made And we want to thank Him for it. He makes differences like the few that I've described, and we want to bless Him for that. God chose to know and bless only Israel among all the nations of the earth. Should we resent Him for that? No, we should humble ourselves before Him for that, that we know Him. When Israel was in Egypt, and they were the bond slaves of Pharaoh, God drew a line in the sand between Goshen and the rest of Egypt. And when He sent those plagues... They were terrible on one side of that line, the sand, and they were not on the other line, on the other side of that line at all. There was darkness so thick in Egypt you could feel it, but there was light in every home in Goshen. When the angel of the Lord passed through, he killed the firstborn in every home in Egypt, but not a dog barked in Goshen. He makes differences. He's always made differences. Men, creatures, sun, star, anything you want to talk about, He's made differences. He's made differences for eternal life. He shouldn't have saved any of us if He was purely fair. He has saved many because He is full of grace and mercy. Amen. And we should love and praise Him for that. There's four lessons we want to learn. Let's look at them quickly and learn them. 1 Corinthians 4, seven. The first lesson we want to learn is humility. Humility. Get down. 1 Corinthians 4, 7 For who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hadst not received it? What that verse is saying is everything you have is a gift from God. Why are you glorying in it like it's something you've earned or deserved? It's a gift from God for you. And you should be humbled by that. This is the first lesson we want to learn about God's discrimination among men is to be humbled by what we have. There is no room for pride in any accomplishment because what we have we received. That means we just took it as a gift because it was given to us. You didn't earn it. There's not self-made men. There's God-made men. There's God-blessed men. But there are not self-made men. God arranged time and circumstances to save you. If you had any blessing or prosperity or success in your life at all, look at Ecclesiastes nine eleven. Ecclesiastes nine eleven. You know you were chuckling with me for a few moments because it is funny. The differences God makes in the animals. How many stretches out the neck of the giraffe? He stretches out the nose of the elephant and he takes the pants down of the baboon. I love them all. I laugh at all of them. The baboon's my favorite. Anybody that knows me knows that. The humor of God as to why he would pull the pants down on one of his little creatures and leave that little red butt running around. Have you ever seen one of those things? It's unbelievable. And they say that thing evolved. I have a Father in Heaven that likes to make me laugh. And when I go look at those little baboons, you know, they've got expressions for flaming red bottoms, but we're not even going to use that in the pulpit because I have so much discretion. But that, the Lord did that. The Lord did that. You ought to see one in heat. Anyway, the Lord does that. I love the Lord. I love His horse for the reason He told me. And I love the rest of His creatures for the things He told me to see. But what we're talking about right now is ourselves. If we accomplish something in life or we have something, we we are something, we are a certain height or we have a certain intellect, what if we were to all take an IQ test? Is anybody in here going to say, well, I worked that up? No, the Lord gave it to you. You received that as a gift, so why are you glorying as if you didn't receive it, as if you earned it? Look at what it says in Ecclesiastes 9. Oh, is this a good lesson? Humility, 9-11, I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift. You've got to be kidding me. The swift have to win the race. That's why they're called swift. I better read the rest of this. Amen. I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong. "...neither yet bread to the wise, nor yet riches to men of understanding, nor yet favor to men of skill, but time and chance happeneth to them all." Time and chance happens to all men. Bill Gates is worth $50 billion. He just happened to arrive at the proper time for a college dropout to meet Stephen Jobs in a garage and put a few parts together that people happen to like for a personal computer. It's time and chance. It's not because Bill Gates is brilliant. It's because of time and chance. And so the Lord's telling us that to humble us. First Corinthians 4, 7, don't act like you've earned it, that you deserve it, and that you've worked this up from the inside. I gave it to you. It was a gift. Hezekiah, Nebuchadnezzar, and Belshazzar are three examples in the Bible of kings that didn't get that. Hezekiah got puffed up in his pride for his accomplishments when it was God's blessing, not his ability. Nebuchadnezzar said, as he talked to himself, look at what I've built for the glory of my kingdom. And as soon as he said that, judgment came from heaven and put him out to pasture. Belshazzar, his grandson or son, did not learn the lesson. And Daniel had to remind him of that. I'm not turning into the verses for time's sake. But those three kings failed to be humbled. And when you're a king receiving so much honor and glory, it is hard to remain humble. And they didn't, and God took them down. Humility. What you have, God gave it to you. Be thankful for it and be humbled by it and don't go around boasting or bragging or glorying in something that you have done or something that you have because God gave it to you. Number two lesson, submission. Isaiah 45 and verse 9. We had this read to us a few minutes ago. Let's submit to what God has done to us and what God will do to us. Let's learn submission under the hand of our potter. Now I just said something and you know that I was saying it just for the sake of illustration or I hope, I hope you know that. My height and your height was determined by God for holy and glorious ends of the God of heaven. And so we trust Him fully in that matter. To do otherwise is to fall into the condemnation of verses 9 and 10. Woe unto him that striveth with his Maker! Exclamation point. If we're not submissive to what God has made us, or what God has given us, then we are striving against our Maker. That doesn't even make sense to strive against our Maker. Let the potsherd strive with the potsherds of the earth. That's a broken piece of pottery. If you think you're a broken piece of pottery, then take up your argument with another broken piece of pottery on planet earth. Don't take it up with the potter sitting at the spinning wheel in heaven. Shall the clay say to him that fashioneth it, What makest thou? Or thy work? He hath no hands. Is it right to say those things to a potter? Is it right to say those things to God? What if He makes you without hands? What if He didn't make you coordinated? What if He didn't make you intelligent? What if He made you to have a hard time with math? What if He made you to have a hard time with language? Humble yourself before Him and be content. Woe unto him that saith unto his father, What begettest thou? Or to the woman, What hast thou brought forth? I mean, it would be the same as talking to your parents and saying, Why in the world did you make me so short? They didn't have anything to do with it. It was entirely God's choice. And so we ought to learn to be content. This idea of the potter and the clay is not rare in the Bible. It's common in the Bible. Look at 29 and 16 of this very book. Isaiah 29 and 16. Men today don't want to make God the potter because it leaves them the clay and that God can make anything He wants to out of you. Do you believe that? He's already done it. You can't stop it. Look in the mirror. That's what God made. You say, I can put on makeup, and we can all tell. Isaiah twenty-nine sixteen: Surely your turning of things upside down shall be esteemed as the potter's clay. For shall the work say of him that made it, he made me not. Or shall the thing framed say of him that framed it, he had no understanding. Those kind of, that kind of language is totally unacceptable to the God of heaven. So we should learn to be content with what God's, we should submit to what God has done in our lives. You know, John chapter 9 tells us that Jesus and the disciples were walking along and found a man that was blind from birth. Right. And the disciples said, Lord, this man that has been blind all his life, was he made blind for his sin or his parents' sins? Did his parents' sin that caused this. And Jesus said it wasn't that man's sin and it wasn't his parents' sin that caused me born blind. He was born blind because I wanted to magnify my works on earth. Do you resent that or can you be content with that? Can you submit to that? Can you submit to a choice like that for your life? A man that was born blind. Now let's be honest. I'm talking to myself. You're just listening. Let's be honest, self. Is being born blind and being blind all your life To that point in time, worse than being five foot nine? It's a whole lot worse. But God made a choice that there was another man that was blind. And He did it for His own glory. And so we should learn to submit to God's choices for us. Each of you were converted at different points in your life. If you're a child and you have heard the truth and you believe the truth, and you've been converted by the truth... You should be thankful for that. Some of you have been converted later in life. Should you be content with that and submit to it? That was God's choice. Do you know what you ought to do? Thank God that you were converted. Should the thief get to heaven and complain? Should he reject the fact that he had wasted all his life and God didn't convert him earlier? Or should the thief get to heaven and thank the Lord that he's in heaven? and that Jesus Christ had mercy on His soul. Learn to be submissive to what God does in your life and what He's already done. Much of you is already settled, and you can't alter it, because the race is not to the swift, but time and chance, and God has already made you what you are. Submit to it. There's peace in this. I'm giving you lessons right now that will give you peace in life, so that you're not chafing and rebelling against your life. Now, if you've done something wrong and wasted something God's given you, that's another thing, and I'll get to it in a second. But what God has done, let's submit to it. Job chapter 1. Let's submit to the way we were made and the deck of circumstances that God has given us. Job chapter 1. Don't talk to God about the way He made you. He had no understanding. Or He didn't give me hands. Or He made me a certain height. Or I wish I was smarter. Why didn't God make me smarter? Well, God's going to get greater glory out of you being dumber. You should be thankful you're dumb. You say, is it possible for a dumb person to know that they're dumb? It is. All that matters is that we're content. content, We submit to what God's done in our lives. Job. Oh, don't we love this? And I hope that you read this chapter last night. All that happened to Job, we know that he was given a horrible set of circumstances in his life. But look what he said in verse 21. Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Here is a worshiping man who has just been reduced to total poverty, his family destroyed, with successive messengers that couldn't wait for the previous one to finish while he was arriving, telling him how bad things were. While he was yet speaking, another one would come and just demolished his life. But he was content and submitted to that. Can you worship God regardless of what you do have or what you do not have in this life? If you don't make that choice right now, He'll take away what you put your confidence in to see if you will. Will you worship God if He takes away one of your children? What if God were to kill one of your children? Are you going to worship God like Job did? He lost all ten. Do you know how you ought to reason? I didn't have any children when I got into this world. Right. And my children were given to me by the Lord. They are the Lord's. They never stop being the Lord's. And if he wanted to take one home to heaven where he's got a better father than I could ever be to him, praise be the name of the Lord. Amen. God discriminates. We don't know what's going to happen. Do you know, I'll tell you this. We've had a hedge of protection around our church you know what, we're living a bubble life because God has been so merciful. He doesn't have to keep doing that and He can do it in righteousness, wisdom, holiness, and love for us. Are we ready for it? I have to preach to you the whole counsel of God and get you ready. You don't know what kind of a baby you're going to have, do you? He doesn't owe you anything. And we're not going to complain, are we? We're going to submit to it and be content. This idea here that Job mentions in verse 21, I came out of my mother's womb naked, and I'm going back into the earth, into my grave naked. So anything I've ever had, God gave it to me, and if He took it away, blessed be the name of the Lord. I had it once, I shall be thankful for that. Paul picks up on that and he says in First Timothy 6, 7, that we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. So having food and raiment, let us be there with content. But that is said after verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Brethren, there is great gain for your life to recognize God's movement in your life. What He made you, what He made your parents, what kind of children He gave you, to be content with that, within the bounds... Of doing the best to train them. But that's only a reasonable best. Because your efforts are not going to alter what God put upstairs. What God put downstairs. Let's trust the Lord and humble ourselves before Him. Let's not glory in gifts that He gives. Let's not complain about things He deprives us of. He makes those choices. If you have the promise that Jesus Christ is never going to leave you nor forsake you, can't you be content with anything He gives you? Amen. Hebrews thirteen five. We ought not to be covetous because He hath said, "I will never leave thee nor forsake thee." You know, I love a God that is able to control all circumstances. Right. Can God control incest? Do we believe that if a woman is raped and conceives a child, that that child should be aborted? No way. What if a woman is abused and conceives a child by incest? Should that child be aborted? Then you'd abort the Lord Jesus Christ. Name me the woman. Tamar. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 3. Is there a God in heaven that discriminates and yet He's able to bless and prosper anything? Love Him. Trust Him. Submit to Him. Thank Him for everything that He does. He's glorious and we should never complain or we are like clay rising up off that spinning wheel and barking against the potter. Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. How contented are you How contented are you? But you say, I wish I'd have married someone else. Who made that choice? Was it really yours? Or did the Lord allow you to make such a terrible choice? Did the Lord arrange circumstances so that you would make that terrible choice? For His greater glory and your profit. That is no different than the horse and the ostrich. It was all under His control. He could have kept you from that. He allowed that for His greater honor and glory. Humble yourself and be content. Matthew chapter 20. I'm not going to read you this whole parable where Jesus compares the kingdom of heaven to a man that hires laborers. I just want the 15th verse. Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with mine own? Is thine eye evil because I am good? Do not resent God for the time you were converted. Because if He's given you any time at all to be converted, it's a blessing. And you should thank the Lord for that. Right. Do not I have the right to do what I will with mine own? What do we want to learn from this? Envy is ridiculous. Why would you envy someone else that was given something that you don't have when it's God's right to do what He will with His own? They're not yours. They're His. If he wants to give someone else something more than you, you should rejoice that God blessed that person. Doesn't the Bible tell us to rejoice with them that do rejoice? And to weep with them that weep. But we shouldn't be weeping because someone else is rejoicing. We should be rejoicing in their joy. Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with mine own? Is thine eye evil because I am good? Do you realize how terrible the sin of envy is? When God blesses someone, that is goodness. That is grace. That is mercy. That is His loving kindness. And when you envy that, when you resent that, when you think you deserve it more than they do, you've become evil. Are you evil just because I'm being good to someone? Why does that bother you so much? For me being good. Turn your Bibles to to Proverbs. Proverbs 27. Proverbs 27 and 4. Envy is a terrible thing. If we humble ourselves properly before God and recognize that He's the potter and we're all the clay, we should not envy someone else's advantage. Their promotions, their successes, they went up faster than I did, they make more than I do, they're better looking than I am, they have this, they have that. All of those things we should rejoice and bless that person, and thank God on their behalf and not let it disturb us at all. Look at Proverbs 27.4. Envy is a terrible thing. Wrath is cruel, the Word of God tells us here. And anger is outrageous. But who is able to stand before envy? You know, we get mad sometimes, but it usually doesn't last long. But envy burns day and night until it's satisfied with revenge. Can you think of Joseph's brethren? They could not stand the fact That Jacob loved Joseph. Joseph was the first child he finally got by his wife Rachel. He loved the boy, but the others could not stand it. They should have loved the fact that their father had such a good son in comparison to them. That's the way they should have looked at it. But they didn't. They envied that. And there's not a lesson in that for us to love all children equally. That is not the lesson there. The lesson is envy. God's made difference between every son He's ever had. Every one. He's granted a different measure of His spirit and faith to. And we shouldn't resent that. There was a disciple that loved the fact that he was the one that laid on the, on the bosom of our Lord. Right. And it was John. We should have just be thanked the Lord that there was a man, John, that Jesus Christ had such a close relationship with. Right. Chapter 14 in the same book of Proverbs We're talking about envy. And that's when someone else has something better than you've got. Don't resent that. Be thankful. Bless them. Proverbs 14.30 A sound heart is the life of the flesh. Do you know what I'm teaching you right now in 30 minutes? A sound heart. I'm teaching you to have a heart that is sound in the way that it thinks about what God's given you and what God has not given you. It is the life of your flesh. It is what will put your life at peace and give you prosperity of soul. But envy is the rottenness of the bones. If you envy others, it's going to rot you from the inside out. It is a terrible disease. And I'm trying to cure it right now with a little reminder. Does the ostrich have his place in God's creation? As much as the horse. It's just a different appreciation. Does the moon have a place? Even though it's called the lesser light? Are you thankful for the moon? Do you like to take a walk under the moon? Do you like to see that moon when it's full in the sky? God made them both. We don't want to envy anyone that might have something more than we have or that they are better of some ability than we are. It's terrible that Eliab resented David when David came and saw the battle set against the Philistines and heard the offer that Saul had made to kill Goliath, he said, is there not a cause? And Eliab made fun of him. Made fun of his little brother for being out there and said, why don't you go back home and take care of the sheep? He shouldn't have envied David. He should have thought within his heart, wow, I have a great brother. I have a brother that though he's only six foot, oh, that hurts, he's only six foot, but he wants to go take on nine foot, nine inch Goliath. I'm so glad I have a brother like that that fears the Lord so much that he comes on the scene and he's already thinking about going to do something about it. I'm a wimp. Brother, I love you. Go for it. I'll carry your armor. I'll carry stones for you. None of that. There was envy. And who did God bless? And did you ever read about Eliab again? Envy's terrible. It's the rottenness of his bones. Can you imagine what that man went went through when David ran down there to meet Goliath and drilled that stone right between his eyes, sunk into his forehead, and then ran up to him, pulled out that huge sword, and chopped his head off? Oh, Eliab had to live with that for a long time, didn't he? And then all the women are singing about David instead of about Eliab. And then David's walking back into camp. Hi, big bro. Look what i got today. He's got a head about this big around. He's holding He's got a great big sword. Do you know what that was doing to Eliab? Unless Eliab humbled himself. Envy is terrible. Right. Let's love each other. Let's love the blessings that God gives. Let's love the blessings God has already given. Inability. Envy will destroy us. Why resent God's choice of lepers and widows like the Nazarenes did in the synagogue when Jesus gave them an object lesson about God's discrimination. He said there were many lepers in Israel, but I only cured Naaman the Syrian. They couldn't handle that. Bless God that he was able to reach down and touch a Gentile and heal him from leprosy. He's healed me from a lot more than Naaman ever thought I getting healed from. I'm thankful for that. Are we thankful for that? Amen. You know, I'm so thankful that there was a difference between Moses and Joshua. Joshua heard of two men that were prophesying in the camp of Israel and he came running up to, to Moses and said, Moses, forbid them. There's two guys out there that are prophesying. Moses, you're the man here and I'm your right-hand man. Uh, you're the man here, Moses. They're prophesying out there. What did Moses say? Would to God, the whole nation was prophesying. He wishes the whole nation was a nation of prophets. Envy's terrible. Rather than fret that others have it better than you, do your best and rejoice at their blessings. 1 Corinthians 15.10 My final point. 1 Corinthians 15.10 We've learned humility. There is no reason or place for you to glory in what you've accomplished because it is a combination of God's blessing and time and chance. Number two, to submit to the way God has made you and what He's given you, because to do otherwise is to bark against the maker and for the clay to rise up against the potter. Three, contentment with whatever God gives you. I didn't come with anything. I'm going without anything. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Four, never to envy anyone else that God's made a difference in their life and made them better in some respect than you. Do you, will you be content if you get to heaven barely saved? What a thing, salvation. Look at what you, look at you're laughing at me and you're thinking about it. Isn't being barely saved a wonderful thing? There's no such barely thing with the Lord Jesus Christ anyway but I was barely converted before I died. Oh, thank the Lord for conversion and that you're able to know His truth before you died. 1 Corinthians 15.10 But by the grace of God, I am what I am. This is Paul talking about himself. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. God chose the Apostle Paul. We should say, God chose Saul of Tarsus to be his greatest apostle. And he said, I am what I am by the grace of God. It was God that made the difference in my life. But when God made a difference in my life and gave me his grace, I labored more abundantly than they all. And this fifth lesson is, be faithful with what God does give you. Take what God... Oh, This is the opposite of fatalism right now. The point that I'm on is the opposite of being a fatalist and say if God makes differences, then if He's going to make a difference in the rest of my life, I'm waiting for it. He's given you His grace or you wouldn't even be in here this morning. Take that grace and run with it. The Apostle Paul took that grace and ran with it. He ran straight into the city of Damascus, went and found... He did go find him, didn't he? He didn't wait for Ananias to come. In. He went and got... The, Ananias and Paul got together. He went to the synagogue. He preached. He left the city. He went to Jerusalem. He preached in other places. Paul just kept going until the day he died with the grace that God had given him. So we want to be faithful with what, with what God's given us. He was the greatest of the apostles because God gave him great grace and because he applied himself more diligently than any of them. There is a measure within the discrimination, discrimination of God for you to use the grace that He's given you and make a difference within a range of what God gives you. And that is what God has called you to do. God has not called you to be someone that He blessed with a greater range than He blessed you with. He has called you to be faithful within the range of what He's given you and not to squander it. God is not asking you to change what you are or what you have. God is asking you to use well what He's already given you. And He's given every single one of you things. And if you squander it, if you sit on it, if you don't use it, if you don't run with it, if you don't dig and apply yourself, you will waste what God's given. And then, His work as the potter, you have defied Him in a different way by not being faithful in what He's given you. When David was very old, and I preached this to you a couple months ago, when David was very old, he gathered the whole nation together for a public coronation of Solomon and to tell the nation, help my son build the most... what was those words? Exceeding, magnificent temple, the glory of God. David said, out of all the tribes of Israel, God tro- chose Judah. Out of all the families in Judah... God chose the house of my father Jesse. Out of all the sons of Jesse, and there were eight, he liked me. Is that discrimination? That is God's discrimination. But what did that do to David? What did that do to David? Did David go around resting on the laurels of God liking him? Or did he gather with all his might so that we see an offering taken up by the hands of David that has never been matched in the history of the world. No one man ever gathered so diligently to do something with what God did for him. God liked him, and so David gathered with all his might. When we read Deuteronomy 7, or we had it read to us a little while ago, it said in there, I have loved you, and I have set my love on you, and I have made you my special people chosen for me. And do you know what it concluded with? Therefore, keep my commandments. What God has given you should result in faithfulness, not in sleep. It should result in faithful diligence, not in resentment, not in I can't ever amount to to much. God's only holding you accountable to amount with what He's given you. Do you know the man that had two talents and that gained two more got the same praise as the man with five that gained five more? That's what He's asking you to do. That's the range He's given you. And for you to use within that, if you've only got two, you can only add two. You can't add five. Unless you're really convicted this morning. Oh, yeah. You say, that'd be, that'd be presuming on the Lord if I tried to be more than He. Try it. Why don't you try it? I'll call you down when you, when you try too hard to be more for the Lord. You know what Elisha said? I want a double portion of Elijah's spirit. I'd say that's a man that wasn't content with being average. He wanted to use everything God had given him. We don't know the dif- we don't know the IQ level of Elijah versus Elisha. All we know is that God blessed Elisha to be great and answered that prayer. God discriminates in His creation, and He's discriminated in your lives and my life. You know the greatest discrimination of all. And I hope you're thankful for discrimination. He saved us by His grace. Amen. Out of the fallen mass of mankind. Hath not the potter power of the clay of one of, one of the same lump to make one vessel into honor and another unto under ve- under dishonor? And that's what the Lord has done for us. This is a way to live your life in total peace. I have just given you something to make your heart sound so that you will have life and live it abundantly. If you did not hear what I just taught or you reject what I just taught... Your heart will not be sound and it will punish you in your bones all the days of your life. It will chase you on your bed. It will irritate you at work. You will not be content with the things God gives you because you'll be expecting more. You'll be resenting others. You won't be faithful with what he gave you because you'll quit and give up saying, I can't be like someone else. That is not the lesson of the Bible. That is not what God wants you to have. He wants you to have life and life more abundantly. And he wants you to be at peace. Humility. You have no reason to glory. Because what you have was given to you and you received it as a gift. Two, submit to God. if Even if he made you without hands. However he made you, submit to God. He's the potter, we are the clay. Third, be content with the circumstances. God sends your way. Job taught us how to do that. We want to be just like that. And to learn that level of contentment is great gain in life. Four, do not envy anyone else. Rejoice in the good things God does for them. And five, be faithful in what He has given you. And apply yourself diligently like the Apostle Paul did. May the Lord Jesus Christ be praised by the efforts we put forth. And may all of you have life because of a sound heart in thinking and acting upon these things. May Jesus Christ be praised. Amen.